Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Clippings Podcast, where we review the nail literature and present it to you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Catherine Stiff. Hey, April. We are excited to explore two papers on the topic of longitudinal melaninichia with you today. So my paper today is a research letter currently in press and online ahead of print in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology. It's from Dr. Matsui et al. entitled The Natural Course of Pediatric Longitudinal Melaninichia, a Retrospective Cohort Study in Japan. Uh, The aim of their study was to look at the long-term natural course of pediatric longitudinal melaninichia. The study design was a retrospective cohort study involving 60 patients who were younger than age 16 at the onset of their longitudinal melaninichia. The authors had photographs of all the patients, and from those photographs, they calculated the proportion of the width of the band of longitudinal melaninichia, um, which they defined as the proportion of the maximum transverse diameter compared to the total size of the nail plate. Um, For the purposes of this study, they also defined two points, which were the stagnation point and the reduction point. They defined the stagnation point as as the point in time when the variation in proportion of bandwidth from the baseline stopped increasing compared to previous within a 5% margin of error. So essentially the point at which the band stopped increasing in size. And they defined the reduction point as the time when the variation in the proportion of bandwidth from baseline began to decline with again, a 5% margin of error. So the time when the uh, width of the band started getting smaller. Um, They enrolled 60 patients who were all uh, Japanese, about half and half male and female. And the median age at onset of longitudinal melaninichia was four and a half, but it ranged from zero to 14 years. Um, And the median age at their first visit to the um, dermatology group was eight years old. Um, In this group, fingernails were more affected than toenails with 44 of the 60 patients having a fingernail affected and the median proportion of bandwidth um, was 0.27, so less than a third of the size of the nail plate. Um, The patients were followed for a mean duration of 30 months, uh, but that ranged from zero to 165 months. 46 of their 60 patients uh, were followed up for at least six months from their first visit. And of those 46 patients who they had really longitudinal data on, 45 showed stagnation, um, aka the band stopped growing, um, and 23 showed reduction in the size of the bandwidth over the time of their study. Um, Ultimately, three of the total 60 patients underwent a nail matrix biopsy because their longitudinal melaninichia grew rapidly. And from those three patients, uh, 
they got a diagnosis of subungual nevus in two patients and subungual lentigo in one of them. Um, there was no melanoma identified in this study. The median time to the stagnation point was 11 and a half months, and median time to the reduction point was 71 months. So they ultimately calculated that their five-year incident rate for stagnation was 95%, and five-year incident rate of reduction was 47%. Um, Patients who were older at consultation and male sex had a significantly um, increased likelihood of both stagnation and reduction. So I thought this paper was helpful because there's not a ton written about longitudinal melanonychia in the pediatric population. Um, specifically, if you do a PubMed search on pediatric longitudinal melanonychia, there are only 15 results. Um, Fortunately, it's not a common problem in children, but when it's present, it can be a significant source of stress for um, particularly parents. Um, given that pediatric nail unit melanoma is extremely rare with only 12 cases ever reported, uh, it's most commonly recommended and most reasonable to monitor pediatric longitudinal melanonychia rather than biopsy it. Um, and most cases will be due to nail unit nevus or lentigo, as we're seeing in this series. Uh, this article gives us some idea of the natural course of pediatric longitudinal melanonychia and can help us counsel patients and their families that almost all bands will stop increasing in width, and many will spontaneously decrease in width, too. Um, reading more about that, uh, this phenomenon is thought to be due to um, a nail unit nevus producing less melanin rather than an actual regression of the nevus when it's when the pigment is due to a nevus, which I thought was interesting as well. Um, the study was limited to a somewhat smaller sample size, although with 60 patients, it's one of the larger studies in this area. Um, there was inconsistency among follow-up. And most importantly, it was only Asian patients. So it's unclear to what specific extent these findings will extend to patients of other ethnic backgrounds. I'll hand it over to you, Catherine, for your thoughts and your article. All right. Thanks, April. Yeah, I don't think anyone is eager to biopsy a child's nail. So I'm glad we have some data to support the wait and see approach. Absolutely. And as April mentioned, this month I will also be discussing longitudinal melanonychia. I chose a letter published in JAD in August 2020, Considerations for Management of Longitudinal Melanonychia During the COVID-19 Pandemic, an International Perspective, by Lipner and colleagues. Longitudinal melanonychia is the most common presentation of nail unit melanoma and often warrants an urgent visit. While many of us are starting to return to our normal clinics, we will likely continue to see patients via telemedicine, and thus it's important to have an arsenal of techniques to perform exams via this format. To evaluate longitudinal melanonychia, the authors recommend examining each nail unit individually with palmar and plantar surfaces. Examination under natural light is preferred. The nail unit of interest should be examined thoroughly with measurement of band width, either via patient-guided measurement with a ruler or using a ruler on the telemedicine platform if able. 
The physician should note the digit involved, band color, band borders, presence of nail splitting, bleeding, ulceration, and presence of pigment on the nail folds or hyponychium. Now, this may be pretty difficult to do via a live video visit, so the authors advise contacting the patient before the visit and instructing them to send a photograph with their nails in focus using a solid background to frame the nail. An additional tip I recently learned is the photo's focus is often improved by keeping the phone a little bit farther away and then zooming into the nail. Uh, the authors created a helpful table to depict the various etiologies of longitudinal melanonychia with their clinical features, telemedicine pearls, and treatments. And I'll walk us through that now. So exogenous pigment can present as dark longitudinal bands with irregular borders, and this will wipe off when the patient is asked to clean with alcohol or acetone. Subungual hematoma may present as purple to brown-black amorphous areas, and it's often not linear. If this is suspected, ask the patient to take serial photographs and emphasize for the patient that it will take time to grow out during the uh, due to the slow rate of nail growth. Pseudomonas colonization may cause a brown-black or greenish pigmentation. When this is suspected, patients should be advised to keep nails short and dry, trim back onycholytic nails, and consider a trial of gentamicin solution or bleach soaks nightly for three months. Fungal melanonychia often presents as a narrow band proximally and a wide band distally, with more than one nail involvement. The authors recommend treating tinea pedis topically if present and performing mycologic confirmation at an in-person visit prior to treatment. Melanocytic activation presents as homogeneous gray-brown bands. We see this quite frequently in our nail clinic, and patients are often referred for one nail in which pigment is more prominent but close examination frequently reveals the presence of pigment in multiple nails, which is reassuring. Melanocyte activation can also be monitored with serial photos, and the patient should be instructed to inform the physician if the band widens or darkens, or if they develop pain, bleeding, or ulceration of the affected nail. A nail unit nevus presents as a brown-black longitudinal band in usually one nail unit, and often first presents in childhood. These are rare in white children, and again, any growing, darkening, or pain should prompt an in-person visit. Finally, nail unit melanoma commonly presents as a brown-black longitudinal band greater than three millimeters wide. It is most often on the thumb and hallux. And any of these features or the clinical features of splitting, bleeding, and ulceration necessitate an urgent in-person visit with likely biopsy. The authors recommend during the biopsy an N95 mask and eye protection should be worn. And firm pressure, aluminum chloride, or other and other hemostatic techniques are recommended over cautery in order to minimize viral spread. Also, to reduce the number of patient visits, if you need to use sutures, uh, disposable sutures are recommended. If nail unit melanoma is found, prompt treatment is necessary, 
in wide local excision or Moses preferred over amputation. I enjoyed this article because it provides some helpful tips for telemedicine evaluation of nails and gives a good overview of the causes of longitudinal melanonychia. However, the telemedicine pearls are quite idealistic. Uh, We have all had those frustrating visits with background noise, terrible lighting, blurry photos or videos. And I know many patients struggle with technology and would likely have a hard time taking these high quality photos. But I do really like the idea of sending a message or calling the patient before the visit to coach them on how to take photos of their nails. This may allow technologically challenged patients to get assistance from a family member prior to the visit. And hopefully yeah, now that I, oh, go ahead, April. I wanted to say that I, I really agree with that point and it's so important all the time, but especially now to have um, really talented um, nursing and MA support. Um, mm-hmm. I find that our nurses calling patients before the visit to coach them on taking these really great photos makes a huge difference. Yes, definitely. We so frequently get sent photos that are not helpful to actually evaluate the lesion. And hopefully now that vaccines are widely available, we won't have to triage the urgent visits quite as much. But regardless, telemedicine is sticking around. So it's good to keep these tips in mind. Thanks, Catherine. I agree. Those were great tips. And I especially like the um, the one about evaluating subungual hematoma, um, having them send serial photography photographs monthly. Um, I think that's specifically a diagnosis that can be pretty well um, evaluated by telemedicine. Mm-hmm. So Catherine, I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. Um, to all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we are doing and which articles you would like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com. All right. Thank you.